Welcome everyone to the Grief Observed podcast. I'm your host, Brad Morrell, and I want to thank you again for joining us. I want to offer an invitation to all of our listeners to contact me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com if you want to be on the show. I would love for you to share your stories about anyone special that you've lost and how you've dealt with grief in the past or how you're currently dealing with grief. Um, I'll have the email in the show description in case you missed it. I want to introduce another special guest today. Today we have my wife, Kendra, on. Um, after listening to the first podcast, she stated she would like to be on the show. And after a little bit of persuasion or, or really a whole lot of persuasion to make that happen sooner than later, here she is. Um, Kendra, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. So we've, we've talked a little bit um, about what you would like to share. And honestly, there's so many different segues we could take here. Um, where would you like to start with, with some of your grief experience? I suppose I would like to start um, with my father's death. Yeah. So like right now we've been together um, nine years. Is that right? <laughs> Married eight together, nine. All right. All right. Good. Uh, my calendar is correct. Um, so right before we met and I think we, we met in April of that year, maybe March, um, your father had just passed away that same yes. year. Yes. So we're, we're talking nine years removed from your father's passing. Mm -hmm. Um, what what do you want to share about that? Well, um, I think um, just I, I want to share a little bit about how I experienced my father's passing and how I feel like I have grieved differently than my the rest of my family my close-knit family um and i i tend to believe that it has to do with my um spiritual beliefs as you know i am a christian and um as the bible says we do not mourn as those without hope and i grew up in a catholic family um, and I was, I did not, um, I did not get saved until I was in my early thirties. Um, but I was saved before my father passed away. Um, and I can remember, um, just watching my dad deteriorate with cancer and um, being at his bedside as, as much as I could. I was living in Tennessee, and of course, he's um, back home in Pennsylvania. And so it was really difficult to have to be apart from dad when he was going through that. Um, but I will never forget the one night. I was at his bedside and he sat up in bed and he he looked at me as if he was looking through me and he touched my cheek so gently and I'll never forget just that tenderness and um let me ask you, Kendra, did, did your dad know at that point, like he was at the end, do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I do believe my dad was, um, I mean, his, he had chemo brain, so his brain wasn't, um, functioning normally. Um, so there may have been times where he was in and out. Um, do you feel like this was like a lucid moment though with him? 
I'm not sure because like I said, I feel like he was looking through me. Like I wanted to know what he saw at that moment, but he touched me just ever so gently. And did he see me? Did he see me as Kendra, his daughter or, um, I think it would be, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I I was just going to say, I think it would be really neat to be in the brain of someone who's in that moment of passing. Cause you, you hear so many things where people, um, do see old friends. Um, I remember yeah, like your, your papa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he saw a couple of old friends and, uh, I remember the night that, um, it was probably about a week before he passed. I went into the hospital and, um, I'm like, how are you doing? He's like, well, there was a cat in here last night. And I'm like, a cat? And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, it was running around. And I'm like, I just can't believe that this hospital would allow a cat to just run loose. And so I was speaking with my dad um, e- either that evening or the next day. And I was telling him and he's like, Brad, your your grandfather's just seeing a lot of different things right now. So who who knows where that barrier is between, you know, the next world and our world? Mm-hmm. Um, and and was he seeing something beyond you? I don't know. I that, know. That's interesting. I know. Um I, I it fascinates me to know what they would see. And because I I remember my mom talking about um, maybe another relative who was dying and seeing other dead relatives, you know, as it, oh gosh, it makes me wonder, does God send them to get us? Well, that's exactly (laughs) what I was going to ask you. Do you feel like there is some type of a, um, we'll just say that spiritual um, versus real world experience that they're seeing that, that we can't see those things around us. Uh, But again, that, that God would state, Hey, you're about to enter my kingdom and I can't think of a better way than to send, you know, someone that you have loved who has already passed to help usher you into the kingdom. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think God loves us that much that he would so definitely do something like that. <laughs> um, you know, as as a Christian, I realize that this is not my home. And um, I I know that I will be with um, deceased family members again who have died in Christ. and. Just I I can't imagine the family reunion that's going to happen um, someday. Yeah, there there's some painting out there that talks about first day in heaven, and it's just all these people hugging. Um, I'll have to go back and find that, and and maybe I'll drop it in the uh, the show notes if I can find that. But it it's a beautiful depiction, I think, of of what it's going to be like. Um, but you know, you've, you've kind of mentioned something, uh, twice already, um, at least vaguely, which is, uh, first Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. And you were speaking about how we don't grieve like those that have no hope. So tell me more about your beliefs now. Um, and, and just, I don't know, kind of take me through some of those thoughts about having hope. Hmm. Um, well, as when I was growing up as a Catholic, we were taught that when you die, you go to purgatory. And um, we were taught to pray for those souls who might be caught in purgatory to get to heaven. And um, when I... <laughs> When I was going through um, my divorce, I happened to live across from a missionary family who became just awesome um, support for me. And she said to me, Kendra, 
why don't you read your Bible during the time of my divorce? And I was ashamed so much that I I, I didn't voice to her that I don't have a Bible. Mm. Well, a friend bought me a Bible and I opened it to Psalms and I started reading through the Psalms and you can imagine the emotional turmoil that I was going through during my divorce and Psalms just spoke to me. Um, and it was <laughs> talk about God turning, um, something to good. My divorce is what led me to my salvation. Um, I can remember being so, um, just desperately discouraged during my divorce that I was thinking about ending my life. And in a dark room, God spoke and he said, I want you to walk with me now. And I said, yes, because growing up as a Catholic, I knew about God, but I didn't know God personally. And for me, God was doing my bidding. I would pray so that God would do what I wanted him to do. And when he didn't do what I wanted him to do, I would get angry with God. Um, let, me, let me pause you real quick there, Kendra, and just ask um, just that that thought that God is sometimes our genie, you know, that hmm. we we ask and we should just instantly receive. Whenever someone is in a moment of passing um, or or close, you know, maybe maybe it's a long term illness, and someone is you know praying for God to just heal this person, bring them mm. back to full health, and and sometimes it the healing doesn't occur here on earth, right? You know, there's there's that healing once they're in His kingdom. What would you say to somebody who is dealing with something like that, that they are really praying hard for this healing and it's just not coming? Um, what I would say is that God's not done yet. When you have hope in Jesus, you have hope for life eternal. And that means life on earth just continues on in heaven. So it's not an end. And God sees from the very beginning of our life, he knits us together before we are in our mother's womb. And, you know, he gives us breath and he takes it away, but <laughs> he takes it away so that we are with him. So there, there's hope. <laughs> mm -hmm. As a believer, would you state that we are already in eternal life. Like obviously we'll take a breath, you know, our last breath here on earth. And then that new breath absent from the body present with the Lord, right? Are we yes. already in eternal life as believers? Um, well, I, I never thought of it that way, but um, you could, you could say that, but there is a physical death. Sure. Um, and, you know, you bring up a good point about when God doesn't heal, when we ask for it, but it is always his will and he knows, <laughs> he knows things that we obviously do not. And I, being in the healthcare profession, I feel like sometimes people look at us, family members look at us as if we are God. Um, but there comes a point where you have to realize we're doing the best that we can, but we don't, we don't give the breath that gives life. You know, we can, we can prolong life on a ventilator or, um, but it's, it's artificial, you know, it's not, it's not God given. Yeah. We saw a lot of that during the, the COVID era. 
you know, obviously I have ADHD, so I, I'm going to take you back to a point that I kind of steered us away from there. But you were talking about, um, and we've we've talked about how divorce can be a grief in its own. Um, you know, that's for an, another podcast, somebody else's podcast. This one's mostly dealing with, uh, you know, personal loss, Mm -hmm. but you were stating that, um, that grief of divorce was literally bringing you to a point where you almost thought of taking your own life or you did think Mm -hmm. of it, but something, you know, God kind of steered you away from that. Like now seeing, you know, your, your father having passed, um, I know you've had other people in your life past, how much now do you value life compared to that moment when you thought there there's no way out of this um so much more when i realized that um what it meant when i realized that my life was bought with a price my life is not my own um that changed my thought process when it came to um wanting to take my own life i realized through god's saving grace that it was not mine to take it was his um and i i mentioned to you the other morning that i had that dream about um that I was asked to make a commercial for suicide awareness. Do you remember? I do. Do you remember what I was asked, like the words that came to me? Um, I don't recall. Share, share with us. I, I was at, in my dream. I was asked to do this commercial for suicide awareness and I didn't know what I was going to say, but I walked up and with a confidence that wasn't from me, I I said to those considering suicide, speak up because the world is too silent without your voice and without your laughter. Hmm. And I I wanted them to know that somebody out there cares, you know. Yeah, and and just like our guest Rob stated uh, the other day, you know, um, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. I, I totally agree with that, but. Think about your lifetime since those thoughts. Think about how many people. It's kind of like that that it's a wonderful life scenario, right? That um, think of how many people you have touched since those moments of feeling like mm-hmm. there is no nothing left for me. I I want the end. And mm-hmm. and one other thing that I'll talk about real quick with suicide is, you know, when, when I deal with somebody in my office who have, uh, thoughts of suicide, it's generally that they're wanting something else in their life to stop. It's not that they're truly wanting death. Would you say that was the case for you? I don't know that I wanted something to stop. I felt that I wasn't maybe good enough to live. Mm, Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Not good enough, feeling worthless. Yeah. Um, A lot of times someone in our lives will make us feel that way, whether it's from youth or, you know, something later in life. Obviously, this was something later in life for you. That's uh, just sparked a thought in me. I, growing up, I, I, I always struggle with perfectionism. So if something wasn't perfect, and obviously my first marriage was not, um, if something wasn't perfect, then I saw myself as unworthy. I, you know. Yeah, that's uh, it's something you know. I always state that we can smuggle our childhood into our adult lives, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's just that even in you know midlife or just you know later on as an adult, we just keep pushing a lot of those problems further into our life instead of learning how to solve them. Yeah. So yeah, can I just interject? Um, I, I met with a counselor uh, sometime after my divorce and she 
she said, I will stuff things until I explode. <laughs> I'm learning all kinds of great information. <laughs> so what would you say to someone um, who maybe is in deep grief right now? And not just because your, your husband's a therapist, but what would you state from your own experience um, about counseling? It is very important to find a counselor that um, is specific for you. I I probably met three counselors before I found the one I felt could help me. So I think finding the correct counselor is very important. But I also feel like um, some people feel like they're too prideful or too stubborn to see a counselor or I can fix this myself. Um, and I was, I was like that until I realized, no, I I've got to get some things off my chest. And it was, it made a world of difference. She gave me tools to use to help cope with situations and, um, to help change my thought processes. Yeah, I, I definitely believe the stigma has fallen a lot during the COVID era. You know, I, I I always state that, you know, if you didn't have anxiety and depression before COVID, you probably do now. If you had it before COVID, it's compounded. But I, I have seen a lot of the stigma fall, and especially with men. I, I've seen more men coming to counseling lately than um than ever before. So it's, it's really a, a great thing. But one, one important thing that you said was um, you have to find the right therapist for you. And I couldn't mm -hmm. agree with you more, you know, and I, I try to tell people when they come to me that, okay, I'm very direct. That might not be your style. That's okay. If I'm not your guy, there is somebody out there who will take care of you and kind of get you to, uh, that next step in life. So I think that's very, very important. Mm -hmm. One thing I do want to take us back to Kendra is the dreams. Um, mm. I know you have a lot of dreams. We both have a lot of dreams. We always share those, but uh, have you had any dreams of your father that were um, just that really stood out to you or, or any other dreams of anyone that has passed on? Oh, yes. I definitely believe that, um, oh, our dreams are so important. And I feel like when our brain shuts off, God speaks. And we see that in the Bible. You know, um, he uses dreams to uh, speak with Daniel and um, so many other people. So, yeah, I do believe that dreams are important. and. I've had some amazing dreams, af especially after loved ones have died. Um, after my father's mother passed away, my Grammy, um, I had a dream that she was just happy and seated at uh, a large dinner table. And that's those are the memories I have of her on earth. Like we would go to grandma's house every Sunday and just sit around as a family telling stories. And it was amazing. In fact, um, you and Rob um, talked about um, the sentimental things um, that you covet, maybe covet's a strong word, from a loved one. And I can remember when Grammy passed away and mom was asking, you know, what, what do you think you would like to remember? And I was like, I want Grammy's dishes because I can remember washing all those dishes by hand after, you know, the whole extended family would eat Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner and just talking amongst ourselves, washing those dishes and that memory, those memories are precious. So that dream about Grammy around of in a smiling at a banquet table was just, uh, just amazing to me. Um, 
I had a dream of my aunt, uh, my dad's older sister, after she passed, um, she was in this gorgeous green gown. And I believe, I believe her wedding party wore green. And she just looked stunning and youthful. And um, it just, when I woke up, I it just makes me smile. <laughs> and I just know it's just God telling me I, I they're okay, you know? Yeah, I, I like those dreams. Um, I remember one with my grandfather, you know, where it, it was almost like that scene from Monty Python where God's in the clouds and the clouds rolled back. But um, in, in my dream, I remember Jesus being there and I said, can I see him? And I was speaking, of course, about wanting to see my grandfather. And I remember Jesus stating, you can't see him but he's okay. And it was just mm-hmm. kind of like my confirmation dream that, Hey, uh, Papa is okay. And, and I like that. Um, so I don't know, tell me more about like confirmation dreams. What, what would you say to somebody who perhaps hasn't had one of those dreams? Um, well, I believe that God speaks to us in different ways, and dreams is the only one of them. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's, he, you know, there's a confirmation through um, a letter you find after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, there, oh, there was one. Okay. Going back to the start of our conversation, I was, you know, I think sometimes we can be we we can think we're totally over the morning process and then you'll get hit by a song or a smell or just something that triggers a memory and so I was learning sign language for a song we were dancing to and I learned the sign for daughter and would you believe the sign is your hand just barely touching your cheek oh wow the same thing that your father was doing yes uh, right when he passed wow okay yes and when I learned the sign I broke down and just just cried and I'm sure nobody knew what <laughs> I was hiding it, but nobody would have understood. But I was just like, wow, daughter, you know? Yeah. So that's that was definitely that was precious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. So many times I think we do look for signs and sometimes those signs don't come. And, you know, mm-hmm. even, even Jesus stated that we shouldn't always look for signs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like you stated, a lot of the times we learn so much about somebody when they pass. Like, you know, there's things that I think we we learn. I I know many stories that I've heard about my grandfather. Um, I would have never known, you know, until he passed. And, you know, people start talking, especially like we've got the holidays coming up. We tell stories about those people who are no longer with us. And I think especially for younger generations, it's it's how we learn about them. Yeah. I don't know. What's um did you learn anything about your father after his passing that you would have never known before? Um, I did hear that in his course of chemotherapy, um he had given a sum of money to someone just i i guess a generous offer that um i wouldn't have known about otherwise um but my dad my dad was just a fun person he was fun to be around and he was a great storyteller and i told this at our wedding that (laughs) um, 
my dad would have loved to have met your dad because I feel like they would have been best buddies. And I, I, I sensed that when I started calling um, your dad, dad, my siblings were kind of taken aback. And my sister was kind of like, you know, is she trying to replace dad? And it it wasn't about that. Um, it was about, you know, extending our family and just knowing that my dad would have loved your dad too. Um, and my mom understood that. So, so Kendra, let me, let me ask, um, are there any specific ways that you would like to continue your dad's legacy? Anything that was meaningful, um, whenever he was here on earth that you want to continue? Um, just bringing joy to others. Um, my dad was funny. And like I said, the stories he told brought just laughter and fun and just encouraged us. And that's the kind of person that I want to be. Yeah, sometimes it's the simple things. It's not this, uh, I don't know, big process of of how we recognize and remember people. Sometimes it's just carrying on a trait, just like you mm -hmm. stated, laughter. You know, and um, here here we're really close to the holidays, and I think it is when families get together to share laughter. And, uh, so are there ways that you, you feel like, um, you do that now in your everyday life, as far as laughter with, with friends or coworkers? Oh, most definitely. I feel like, especially at work, I try to, um, put my patients at ease, making them smile, making them laugh to take away their anxiety. Um, I need to work on that with you, don't I? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have to live with you, so uh, I'm not going to go there. Um, but yeah, I, I know that you do care deeply for your your patients. And um, I'm sure that, you know, making them laugh is part of, of that, you know, setting their mind at ease and... Uh, you are a funny person that that's one of the things that I love the most about you is just the fact that you do make me laugh. So, um, I, I know this isn't about our, our marriage, so, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll kind of steer off of that, but, um, let's see, tell me some more things that you have on your list. Cause we, we've got some time on the clock. Um, yeah, I wanted to, um, I know when you and Rob were talking about, um, Fighting over the estate. That was um, that was never an issue, really, with with my family. Um, we didn't grow up um, rich by any means, and so um, we don't. Um, it's not about possessions for us. Um, but I I want to um, sort of plug a, a a local author who wrote Unholy Mess. I, I believe it's Angie Hike. I can't say her name right. But anyway, she talks in the book about a thing called the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning. And I just laugh at that, the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning. But she makes a point that the Swedes have this um, process of when they become 50, 60-ish years old, they start cleaning out their house so that when they die, their loved ones aren't left with that huge task. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, that was... <laughs> That would be so great. Like I, I know when my mother passes, oh my gosh. And maybe she's <laughs> listening right now, but I, I literally dread, um, going to clean out her house. She, she is, um, 
she purchases antiques and goes to all these estate sales and then turns around and sells all this stuff on eBay. And, and I'll say like, she's very, very organized. That's the one great thing about it. Um, but I, I don't want to have to deal with that. <laughs> I'll well, let my you, sisters deal with that. Well, and you know, we dread my sister's house as well. So she has received a copy of the book. And <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll plug that book into the description. Um, so if, if you're looking for this book that Kendra's speaking of, I'll, I'll have a link there um, and no worries. So, so unholy mess. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's amazing. And um, of course, this is when, when I think a lot of people find out a lot about those who have passed as well from belongings that are left behind. Um, you know, my dad, he, he gave me something very special for my grandfather. And my dad told me, he said, I want you to go ahead and, and have this now, because if I pass and you find this, you're not going to know what the heck this is about. And what it was, was a money clip with a $2 bill and a $1 bill in it. My my grandfather always gave $2 bills to everybody that he saw. I guess he just thought that was the coolest thing. But that was the money clip that my grandfather had in his pocket when he passed, like $3 to his name. And to me, I will never, ever give that up. But my dad's right. Had I found this in one of my dad's drawers, I probably would have deposited that money into the bank and never known the story. So what is it that you fear, Kendra, in finding something um, like what what do you think you would find in um, a family member's house or or what is something cool that you have found in someone who's passed uh, in their house? Well, after my dad passed, um, my brother and my sister and my mom, we were sitting in the living room and just talking and my brother mentioned um some money my dad used to hide and so he left the room and he went downstairs and he comes back with five thousand dollars in his hand <laughs> wow was that in the wall <laughs> No, I won't say where it was. <laughs> but, yeah, no um, doubt. Um, we joked, and I, I was like, "Where's the other five thousand? You know, joking, because of course, you know, insinuating that my brother would have taken another five. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my mom knew nothing about it. But my dad had told my brother um, that where the money was hidden, and. He was, I think my brother was kind of surprised it was still there, but, um, yeah, we didn't know anything about it. And I, I wonder to this day, if my mom is going to just, if that will be the first question she asks my dad. <laughs> yeah. Where was the money? <laughs> Why were you hiding $5,000 from me? <laughs> well, Hey, at least we know your brother's <laughs> honest now, right? <laughs> Um, you know, I, I want to talk about your mom real quick, Kendra, and mm -hmm. I know your mom has, she, she is very, very connected, um, in the loss and, and the way that she grieves, um, or chooses to remember is a lot different than I think you do. Tell me more about that. Um, or maybe you want me to tell you where my mind is at. I mean, it's um, your your mother chooses to um, honor your dad each year by giving a gift in his memory. Mm. Um, yes, for Christmas. So, yeah, yeah. So tell me more about that or your thoughts on um, how we can still remember people. Um I don't, I don't know. I'll let you take over there. Gosh, that's, it's really hard because I think that points to how people grieve differently. Um, Absolutely. My, the rest of my family um, tends to go to my father's grave um, 
like my sister, whenever she's up home, will visit his grave. Um, of course, mom visits his grave. And I, I, I'm obviously several states away and I don't visit home often, but even when I'm home, I don't tend to go to dad's grave because again, I know he's not there. He's not there. Like if I die in Christ, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be with Jesus. Um, I'm not going to be worried about the color of the casket you bury me in or yeah, that, um, let me cut you off there, Kendra, because that brings me to um, something that's a little bit funny that I want you to share with the <laughs> listeners. Um, so Kendra and I, we've we've had this discussion before. Do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? And we had this discussion a long, long time ago. So recently, probably in the last few months, I was asking Kendra again, just remind me what you would want um, in case you were to pass away. And I said, did you, do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? And Kendra says, I don't know. Surprise me. <laughs> Surprise me. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, there, it's kind of funny, but it definitely clues into your thought process that no matter if you're buried or cremated, you're not there. You are somewhere else. And yeah. as, as a believer, we know that is with the Lord. So yes. Yes. I, I think it is kind of funny, but a lot of times we put so much weight on, uh, like you stated, the color of the casket, um, mm -hmm. where we'll be buried. And, and of course, you know, I, I wanted to be buried in a specific location. Um, and, and I don't even know why, because like you stated, I, I won't be there. Um, it is kind of a central location for other family members. Mm. And and I think that was my thought process of, okay, if you were to pass, I would take you back to your home as opposed to being here. It's it's not that we have to be together in the dirt, right? It's um, mm -hmm. as believers, we'll be elsewhere. So yeah. I don't know. I, that's... Uh, it was funny at the time and yeah. kind of funny, <laughs> but at the same time, it, it totally buys into the fact that you're not here anymore. You're, you're yeah. somewhere else and into yeah. the great beyond. And I mean that in, in a very great way, right? You're, yes. you're so much better than, than what we are here. Yeah. Yeah. So much better. So how do you feel about like the concept of finding meaning or purpose, even when you're in grief? Like, tell me, like, maybe if we rewind back to the point of you losing your father, um, how did you find meaning and purpose through that difficult time? Hmm. Regretfully, you know, I was not in Pennsylvania when at the time of my dad's death and I remember getting a phone call from mom saying you know your dad's you know near the very end and just hating that I couldn't be there in that moment but I know that God knows perfectly who is meant to be there and um so I immediately packed and headed home as soon as I could and just um, trying to be a support for the family in that moment um, was, I think, the most important. Just to be there to hug and cry and um I think you mentioned in your last episode with Rob, uh, you asked him something about the house of mourning rather than feasting. Do you recall that question? Yeah. Um, you know, I was referencing, you know, the, the Bible states, it is better to go to a house of mourning than, uh, I need to look up the verse specifically. I, I hate to butcher it. Um, 
where was your thoughts going while I find that verse? Um, you know, you asked how important it was to go to that house of mourning. And I think it is very important to mourn. And it's just like an emptying. It is pouring it all out, like all that sorrow and you know, you mentioned um, how we want to hold on to that person. And I think of it as a tug of war. We're tugging on one end of our loved one because we want to keep them here on earth. But I see it as God tugging God every time, you know, because mm. he, he knows better and, you know, there's nothing better than being in his presence. So um, just Here, here's emptying the verse, that Kendra. sorrow. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's Ecclesiastes 7.2. It says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. But it continues. And it says, for that is the end of all men and the living will lay it to his heart. So I, again, I believe it. it is, um, when we go to, you know, a wake or a funeral, it does get us in the, in the mindset of one day, this will be me, you know, and, yeah. and how it goes back to making meaning of your own life. Um, mm -hmm. how do we make this life count knowing that we will all be faced with a physical death? So I don't know. But, it's yeah, go ahead. But I was saying, um, just pouring out, you know, I'm also thinking of Psalms, um, Psalm 30 verse 11, where it says, God turns our mourning into dancing and he removes our sackcloth and clothes us with joy. Um, just, you know, allowing yourself to pour out that sorrow so that you can be filled completely with God's joy, you know, and it makes me think of what Jesus said, you know, uh, as he's heading to the cross or, you know, in preparing for the cross to suffer for the joy set before him. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't end in the sorrow. You know, it ends in the joy. Hmm. So what other points do you have there, Kendra? I know, again, you had several things you wanted to touch on. Well, we touched on quite a lot. Um, so, so one thing I want to talk about real quick is um, when I attended one of your aunt's funerals, it was the first time that I'd ever been to a Catholic funeral. And I have to say that it was actually quite touching. You know, I grew up with the, the Southern funeral here, you know, it's, uh, and of course, sometimes we do like a celebration of life. Um, one thing I want to say about a celebration of life real quick is a, uh, continuing ed that I just went to recently. The, the gentleman teaching stated sometimes, it's like we're trying to file the edges off whenever we have a celebration of life. The only concern really is it's not the title. It's more of if we delay or, or maybe that's, it's the thought process of delaying that grieving. Um, so I, I definitely want to just throw that out there as, as a little sidebar that mm. um, sometimes we don't need to mm. delay the grieving or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think it's important for us to go through that process. Yes. Um, but to go back to your your aunt's funeral, I really found it um, quite touching, to be honest. Some of uh, in in my mindset, it was OK. It was more ritualistic than what I had ever experienced. But at the same time, there were so many touching things that they did Um I don't know. It, it just, it was very meaningful in a lot of ways that I had never experienced. So I don't know if there's anything you want to touch on there, but I, I just, you know, we all have different rituals that we do. Hmm. Um, what's, what's a ritual that, that you think, and, and maybe ritual is a strong word to use, but 
what's something in the grieving process that really brings meaning of whoever you've lost um, that just really brings their life to the forefront and, and really honors them in that moment? Well, for me, at my aunt's funeral, it was an honor to be able to read um, from God's word um, because I I sure hope that when I die, people use that moment to point others to Jesus. So um, being able to read scripture at my aunt's funeral was very special to me. Yeah, that that is definitely special. Um, you know, as husband and wife, like I I dread. Um, you know, I, I maybe we'll both get taken out at the same time. <laughs> I don't know, but I I don't want to lose you in death. Um, I I think it would be difficult, and you know, a lot of times we'll we'll joke around about that, but. Mm. I think it will be really hard if if I'm the one that's, you know, quote, left behind. Um, what would you say mm-hmm. to a grieving spouse right now? Like what through through your eyes and, and maybe this will clue me on on how much I mean to you. <laughs> but uh, what what would you say to somebody who is grieving a spouse at this moment? Um, I think it's. Don't rush it. Don't rush the grieving process. Um, I think you need to move on when you are ready. I was actually quite proud of my mom for being able to, um, you know, pack up dad's things. It happened sooner than I expected, although it wasn't, you know, rushed by any means. Um, but I think don't be pushed, um, to rush through that process. Um, and that reminds me, um, there's another book it's called, um, 12 baskets of crumbs and it's by Elizabeth Elliot and Elizabeth Elliot lost her first husband, um, as a missionary, he was a missionary to the, uh, Alka Indians and they, um, they basically killed her husband and, you know, she goes on to forgive those Indians who eventually, um, become Christians. And she talks in her book about packing up those things or, giving away those things. And uh, I just want to read to you what she says. She says, you give some of it away, hoping that people will be able to fathom that you are giving them some of him, like some of that person. And um, she says, although we have but fragments of a life, although we know even ourselves only in a fragmented way, Eternity has been written in our hearts and the pieces will one day be put together exactly as they were meant to go. In Christ, we're told all things consist, all things hold together. There is no fragmentation to him. He sees perfectly the details as well as the destinies of our lives and orders them all in beauty and in love. I love that. Yeah, that's that is nice. I'll also put that book in the description um, in case you're curious about the the book that Kendra is speaking of. Um, Kendra, I've got one last question for you, and then um, I'll I'll let you kind of wrap it up for us um, and and go over any other thing that you want to cover. But what would you say to someone who does like? We, we all have a different grieving process. How would you tell someone that the way they grieve is okay, even though it's not the way you grieve? Or how can you be okay 
watching someone else grieve differently than you. Any thoughts? Um, I, I think I struggle with that sometimes because um, sometimes I sense that they lack the hope that I have. And so it's having the patience and kindness to lead them to that hope. Do you feel like, and and sorry, this led to another question. You know, my, my last question is never my last question. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But do you think it's because of those earthly anchors. Like if I can hold on to something, um, I feel like I've got, Mm. I'm closer connected to the individual that I've lost. But if I give that up, then Uh. it does lean into faith. It does lean into hope because that's all you have. So I feel like earthly possessions sometimes can be the thing that prevents us from being able to move closer to that hope. What are your thoughts? Gosh, that's really good. Yes. Um, And I think uh, Unholy Mess touches on this, that um, sometimes um, we're given something that meant something to our deceased loved one that does not have the same meaning to us. And so sometimes we'll hold on to that thing out of guilt because it meant something to them, but it doesn't mean the same thing to us. And I, it's, oh yes, it is okay to let go of that thing. You know, Kendra, um, I'm sorry. Again, I just, um, I was just going to say, we cannot value something over someone yeah the item definitely does not replace the life Mm. but one thing that uh like when i've worked with people hoarding or just having a lot of belongings in their house before what i challenge them to do um i've got many challenges but one of the challenges is for an item that you're speaking of just like that, that, you know, the item meant more to the deceased than it did to the person who received it. Um, perhaps take a picture of that mm-hmm. item and then write the story about the mm-hmm. item. Mm-hmm. So you've got the picture, you've got the story. And isn't that really what it's about? It's mm-hmm. the, the story behind the item, not the item itself. Yes, I feel like that's probably one of the best ways to retain and yet still let go. Yes, yes. Well, Kendra, it's been a pleasure. It's, uh, you know, I'll probably see you here in a few minutes in a different room, (laughs) but but I, I really appreciate your time. And I know you were very hesitant to come on and speak. I think you did a great job. Um, I want to leave you with any last words, any last thoughts, and uh, and and I'll wrap it up. I think one of the last things that you asked Rob in in his podcast was, um, you know, what do you what do you find to be the meaning of life? And I spent uh, time alone one day after going or maybe during my divorce and the only word that kept coming to my mind was love what is the meaning of life it's all about love just love one another so that there's no regrets nothing you know left um left to regret, you know, just love. Kendra, I can't thank you enough. Um, and, and maybe that's the challenge that, that 
we'll just send to the listeners right now, you know, what does it look like over the next week to live without regret, knowing that you've cashed in every single moment with those that you love? And it's kind of like one of the things that uh, I spoke about in the last podcast of, you know, maybe it's a family member that you just need to call up and say, I love you. Um, how do you make it count? And so I, I will leave everybody with that. Um, live with love, live without regret, so that when it is time to mourn someone, that you know you left nothing on the table. Thank you for being here on another episode of Grief Observed Podcast. I hope you have truly been blessed. Blessed.